Hi everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before we get into the stories, I need to give a few warnings. Stories number one and four have sexual abuse in them, and as for stories number two and three, those are very dark as well, and they go over the topic of murder. So yeah, this is a dark one. All that being said, if you decided to still stay here and listen, I hope you enjoy it. And remember, if you want to share your story here, you can send it at southerncannibal.com. Alright, let's get into the stories. And remember, to always, stay hungry. As a part of my healing, I've been sharing this story here and there with close friends and family. The purpose behind this story is for parents to remain cautious of the people they allow into their child's lives and to always remain cognizant of the behaviors of their children around these individuals. Now on to the story. My dad's brother, let's call him Jay, has always been the most ignorant, horrible human being. He's a fucking drunk bastard who cheated on his wife and would beat her in front of his kids, my cousins. Thus, the wife left him with the kids and moved to a small town in Texas and worked with a friend. The creepy uncle then relocated from California to Texas, and my dad took him under his wings to help change his life. However, little did my parents know that he was a low-life pervert and literally needs to rot in hell. Slowly after he moved in, my family tried helping him get rid of his drinking habit and even tried putting him in a hospital to help with his addiction. But as the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. He refused all help. Within a few months, Jay's wife had made contact with my dad because our family had been trying to contact her and see if she needed help. Long story short, Jay and his wife decided to give their marriage a chance, and so she moved near where we lived with her kids. One day, I went over to their house to play with my cousin Dara. Jay had brought candy for us, and when he gave me candy, he kissed me on the cheek. As an eight-year-old child, I didn't think much of it. Slowly though, as the year progressed, the fucking pervert started getting more daring, and things started escalating, and the inappropriate touching began. Thankfully, my parents always talked to me about inappropriate touching, so I was able to learn right away. As I became older, I realized what he was doing was wrong. At nine years old, he had pinned me down in my room and forced kiss me on my lips. I told my best friend, and she encouraged me to tell my mom. I was honestly afraid because he threatened to kill me, but I trusted my friend, and I then told my mom everything. To say that my parents were livid, well, it's an understatement. I really don't want to go into detail here of all the stuff he did, but my parents didn't call the police, which as a mom myself, I would have. However, I have never seen that fucker again. In fact, we caught all contact with that family, so I haven't seen my cousin's aunt or the creep since, because his wife also did some shady stuff. That whole family is crazy, but that's a story for another day. However, the purpose of this story is simple for parents. 
please be aware of the people you trust in your child's life. My name is R, and the following story is 100% true. This particular story didn't happen directly to me, but it did happen to a relative of mine that lived in Mexico, and it happened about three or four years ago now. I live in the United States, and I'll start by giving some backstory about my relative. I'll call him Tio in this story. I wasn't really that close to Tio if I'm being quite honest. I only ever had one interaction with him growing up, and it wasn't in person. Instead, it was through MSN, when it used to be relevant. Yeah, I'm a little on the older side. I believe I was around 13 years old or so when Tio messaged me out of the blue with the usual, hello, and how are you? However, the message that he sent me that day caught my attention when he asked me something along the lines of what clique or gang do I belong to. I'm ashamed to say that when I was a teenager then, I did have some friends involved in gangs and was starting to dab into them myself, but I didn't mention it to him. I am no longer involved with any gangs, and I'm far from the teenager I used to be long before the outcome of the story took place, in case you're curious. Anyways, I was in the living room, as the only computer we had at the time was there, and it was right next to the main hallway of my home, so my mom saw the message. She was infuriated that Tio would ask me such a question, and she scolded me for having been messaging Tio in the first place. I was surprised at this, since most Mexican families are very family-oriented, and I brought that up to her. And this is where I learned for the very first time a little more about the darker side of Tio and some of his family. My mom explained to me that Tio's father and uncle have a long history of being involved with gangs in Mexico. Tio's father being the leader of a gang, and Tio's uncle having joined it also. She brought up that we have to run into Tio's uncle on multiple occasions when we've gone to get our vehicle looked at by a mechanic since he's worked as one. Tio's uncle wore an eye patch, and I brought that up to her, and she told me that the reason he wears it is because back when he was living in Mexico, Tio's father was getting jumped by a rival gang, and when the uncle found out, he immediately went to help fight them off. Unfortunately for him, one of the rival members had a morning star and threw the spiked ball in into my uncle's face, then causing his eye to burst, and now Tio was following in their footsteps. So my mom wanted me to stay away from him and no longer communicate with him either. Tio's mother lived in the States at the time to pursue better pay to send money to her kids back in Mexico. So she'd left Tio at the care of his father. So you can see why he was interested in gangs. Skip forward about two years later. Tio's mother caught wind of him being heavily involved in the gangs and now officially being a member of his father's gang and she leaves the States to go back to Mexico to stop him. That, my friends, was the last I had heard from them until about three or four years ago, when I had heard the first bit of news of what happened to Tio. The first I heard of was that Tio had gone about a month and a half without being seen nor heard from, and that his family was looking for him. Unfortunately, that escalated to his, and that of his best friend's body being found in a ditch 
about an hour away from the village my family is from. Both of them had been tied up with a bullet hole in their head having been executed. To this day, no one knows exactly what he did for work, or at least his direct relatives haven't told the rest of the family. Based on how he would go pretty far away and go about two weeks without communicating with anyone, some of us speculate that his work has something to do with capturing hostages and demanding ransom money. Others believe he was involved with stealing fuel from tank trucks to sell gasoline at a lower price than gasoline stations do. Of course, the group of killers weren't caught, and probably never will be. The Justice System Police Force and any other branch that would be responsible for investigating deaths in Mexico are all corrupted by power and money, and they could care less about investigating another murder or two. It's not like the US, unfortunately. Now, you may be thinking, well, what the hell happened to the mother then? I thought she had left to go stop him from stuff like that. Well, my family comes from a poor background, so money was always scarce, and we're a pretty big family. So when his mother left the States, she definitely did try her best to stop him, but she soon saw how much money Tia was making and giving to the family, driving nice cars and such. Needless to say, she let him continue on with whatever he was doing, so long as they were living well. Most of the family was devastated, and I was surprised at first, but since I never really knew him that well, I can't really say I was too. I know I'm being insensitive about the situation, but that's what happens when you get involved with the wrong crowd. Fortunately for me, I stopped getting involved with the wrong crowd a long time ago, and thank God I did. I feel like every neighborhood has that family of absolute psychos. Almost everyone I've spoken to about this sort of thing seems to remember one group of absolute wrongings, be it from their childhoods or from their current lives. And if there's one thing I've learned from their collective memories and stories, it's that whenever there's a family like that around, it's only a matter of time before something comes to a head or something finally boils over. And that's exactly what happened with the psycho family that lived in my neighborhood when I was just a kid. Only the thing is, most of the people I've spoken to said the breaking point came with some kind of family argument or a confrontation with neighbors spilled out into the streets outside. Police were called, arrests were made, usually after cell sign or two went up in the aftermath. But I almost wish my story was that simple or into that relatively amicably. Because what happened in my case is something that haunts me to this day with possibilities and ramifications that I find genuinely terrifying. I grew up in 70s Britain in a pretty small town in a place called Wilshire. We were quite a small community. Everyone knew everyone and consequently everyone knew everyone's business too. There was this one boy called Louis, and he was the only child of the Prestige family. A very peculiar family name if there ever was one, but that's not the reason I'll never forget it. The Prestige family were peculiar by name, and peculiar by nature too. But then again, peculiar seems like the entirely wrong word to even use. 
peculiar makes you think of something quaint and adorably abnormal, but there was nothing adorable about the Prestige family. They were just weird, scarily weird too, and mean. I think one of my earliest memories of Louie is during an assembly in primary school. It's about eight in the morning. All the kids in school are sat in the main hall, and it's deathly quiet, apart from our headmaster making announcements and the soft sobs of young Louie. He didn't stop crying for the whole of the assembly, and it didn't just remain this quiet weeping either. His tears built up in pitch and intensity until he was wailing so loud that a teacher actually had to remove him altogether. I remember feeling really sorry for him, but as time went on, it was just something you sort of got used to. They were the weird family in our town, and since they didn't really get into any serious confrontations outside of their own family unit, people just sort of let them be. The next serious incident I remember was years later in secondary school, when the schoolyard suddenly became a buzz with people gossiping over something. People were crowded around the school gates looking at something, some of them laughing, some of them just gawping at the sight of a lad dressed entirely in a school uniform, except for one crucial piece of it, his trousers, and it turned out to be Louie. From what I heard, he had been basically pushed out of a car by who we assumed to be his dad, and rumors went flying around that Louie hadn't been quite ready to leave the house when his dad was ready to take him to school that morning, and instead of waiting for him to put his trousers on, Louie's dad just dragged him to the car and had taken him to school with no pants on to basically teach him a lesson to be ready on time. I'm not entirely sure how true that reasoning was, but I do know that I witnessed Louie having to walk into school in nothing but his school jumper, his shoes, and his underwear with my own eyes. I'm also not entirely sure how Louie was still allowed to live with his evidently abusive parents either. Again, rumors went around that they had a visit from social workers, but this I believe, because for a while, there seemed to be little in the way of serious incidents coming out of the Prestige household. Obviously, the visit from Child Welfare Services had been enough to shake them into changing their ways, or so it seemed. Now, this all came to a head when I was 15, maybe just over a year before we all left secondary school and bid farewell to the compulsory education for good. One morning, Louis returns up to school in his own clothes, a pair of pumps, and a colorful jumper. He gets pulled aside by a teacher, who I think at that point was well aware of the situation at home, and Louis says something quietly to him before the pair of them disappear into the building which housed the main office. The next thing I know is that apart from the shoes he was wearing, Louie has an entirely new school uniform. I'm talking new blazer, new tie, new jumper, everything. And from that day on, he seemed almost like an entirely new person too. He didn't get dropped off at school by his parents anymore. He seemed more confident and more open and more talkative with the other kids too. He even started playing football with us at lunchtimes, something he'd never done before. We actually got quite poly with him for a while, and on more than one occasion, he invited us back home with him to play. We politely declined him, of course, 
thinking of some made-up excuse not to have to go around the prestige house. But still, things seemed to be making a vast improvement. Emphasis on seemed, though, because after a long bank holiday weekend, Louis failed to return up to school at all. This didn't have anyone talking about it too much. Kids were routinely off on the one odd or two days with illness, but Louis went an entire week without showing up for school, and that really did get us all talking. I don't know if it was because I was so young and naive, or I just didn't connect the dots, but I didn't think there was any link between all of the police activity around our town and Louis not being in school. But one Saturday afternoon, my mom and dad called me into the kitchen and asked me if I'd been around to Louis's house at all recently. I told them no, but that I had been invited at one point. And when I said that, my mom gave my dad this look that seemed to be a weird mix of horror and relief. Like I had dodged a bullet or something. Not long after that, I got word through some friends of mine that there had been a brutal double murder in that town. And that someone had been arrested for it too. Our little town barely had any crime at all. I think the most serious thing to happen for decades at that point was a car theft committed by some out-of-towner. So, the idea that there had been a single murder, let alone two, just set the town alight. And there was so much speculation over who the killer was and how the killings had come about. Looking back on it now, I can see why the adults might want to shield us from the whole thing. And it was only a few years later that I actually realized why the police made such an effort to keep the identity of the murderer a secret. It's like that, when a murderer is under the age of 18. When they're a minor, their identity is kept secret for as long as is able. But that's only really possible with the media, because it didn't take long before the residents of our town figured out what happened, and it was bound to trickle down to us sooner or later. Well, you see, the reason Louis's parents didn't seem to be around anymore, the reason he was so happy and confident and carefree, was because he had killed them. He'd finally rid himself of the people that had made his life hell. I get that, but the fact that a kid killing their own parents can make them so happy, that's something that I've never been able to truly understand. The horrible thing was looking back on the event years later, and sort of piecing together the puzzle. For example, the day he came to school in his own clothes was probably the morning he'd killed them, and since he'd gotten blood on his school uniform, he had to dispose of it. All the times that he invited us back to his place to watch TV or play football, his parents would be dead in the upstairs bedroom, assuming that's where he killed them. If we'd gone round, maybe we'd have been able to smell them, or even see flies buzzing around the bedroom door or something. We were all just one little spur of the moment yes from finding out. Finding their bodies. Maybe if that was the case, then Louis would have killed us too. My name is Tatiana, and my story takes place during my freshman year of high school while I was on winter break. Before I begin my story, let me clarify my living situation. When I was young, my mother and father separated, so my father moved in with his parents, and years later my mother passed away when I was around the age of six and my little brother was four. 
This caused me to move in with my grandparents and father. Anyways, fast forward to December 2017. So my aunt and uncle and two younger cousins live in another state, and every year they visit my grandma during the summer vacation and Christmas. My uncle only visits in the winter, however, because we don't have the best AC. Anyways, the trip started out normal, and we were all pretty excited to see each other again, and the same goes on for a few days. Then, about the fourth day, I got a weird vibe from my uncle when my older cousin told me that my uncle went up to her, then said, You're looking hot today, babe. Not pretty. Not beautiful. Hot. She told me that she felt sort of uncomfortable around him, but I thought maybe she was just exaggerating. I later believed her when it was just me and my uncle home alone while I was sitting in the living room on my phone when he then laid his arm on my shoulder, sort of pushing it down, leaned in, and whispered in my ear, You look very beautiful today. That statement alone didn't bother me. It was just the way he expressed it, and it made me realize that what my cousin had told me was true. For the rest of the week, I didn't want to be alone around him anymore, and I always tried to have someone else in the room, but he would still do little things like grab my shoulders or touch me in areas near my chest, even with others around. I sometimes felt afraid to fall asleep with him in the room, because he, my grandmother, and I were sleeping downstairs together while all of the others took the upstairs. Anyways, one day I was upstairs in my room collecting my little cousin's pajamas because I would help take care of them while they were over. My uncle came into the room to thank me for helping out. I wasn't bothered by this until he slid a $5 bill up my sleeve and accidentally touched my boob and just walked away. I felt disgusted, but at the same time, I was able to laugh it off, telling myself that he acted like I was a stripper by putting money in my clothes. That aside, I was still disturbed. The last incident I recall occurred when my grandma, aunt, uncle, and cousins were all in the room. I was opening a kitchen drawer, and he was trying to move past me. He could have excused himself so that I would let him through, but instead, he grabbed me by the hips and thrust it into me from behind, stayed there for a good 10 seconds, and then just said, Excuse me, babe. The day they left could not have come sooner. We said our goodbyes, I got an uncomfortable hug from my uncle, and they were off. It's currently the end of August, and I start school soon, which before I know it, my cousin and I will have to get through another visit with him. If he's willing to do all that, I'm really afraid to know what else he's capable of or having to find out the hard way. <laughs>